Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. At the King's Church, we exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel. You're about to listen to a sermon from our weekly corporate worship gathering. If you want to follow along with the sermon notes, they can be found on our website, kingschurchlkld.com. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. At the conclusion of today's reading, well, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we ask you to say, thanks be to God. Today's reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabur. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabur. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame. In both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Now is the time for Kingdom Kids to be dismissed to their classes, so go to your door. Before I get started, I gotta just give it up for Chris because Mephibosheth is a mouthful. We're going to hear it a lot. (laughs) What we're going to enjoy, we're going to hear his name a lot today. So again, good morning, church. My name is Deshaun. I'm one of the members here at the King's Church, and I have the privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And I'm legitimately excited. And the reasoning why is this passage has meant a lot to me personally. And so when Pastor Ian asked me to preach about late October, it was just like, 
all right, this is the pastor I've been looking forward to preach. I'm excited to get into it. And so what you guys have this morning is the product of years of being in this passage, but a lot of pent-up excitement out of this last two to three months. And the reason why I say that I'm excited about getting into this passage, and as you'll see in 2 Samuel 9, there's so much of the gospel that's sitting there of allusions to what Christ has done, his character and his ways. And so my prayer, my aim this morning for you and myself is this, is that we may leave out of here overwhelmed by the graciousness of God. And I say that because especially in a church like ours where we hear the gospel week in and week out, And we also have places for gospel fluency, gospel formation, and gospel family. There's a way that it can become cold or indifferent to us. Because we hear it week in and week out. And we can say, hey, I know I've heard the gospel, but I need to move on to something deeper. The more deeper things of the faith. Or I need a new method or technique because that just doesn't really seem to be working. Or... As we'll see is this passage is showing us the kindness of the Lord. That when we look at our own lives, we say, I hear all this about God being kind and gracious, but my life doesn't show that at all. And so if you are here today, and at times and moments you feel completely unmoved by the gospel, this passage is for you. Or if you are here today and you just outright just say, I just don't believe that. This passage is for you, because this passage is here to meet us in our brokenness and our callousness of heart with the beauty of the gospel by the grace of our God. And so my hope, my aim again, is that each of us may leave out of here with a little pep in our step because of how how gracious the Lord has been to us. And so our main point, which will be up on the screen, is this. The kindness of God should be humbling and prized, not arrogantly despised. And so in a question form for us to consider, not to think only for our neighbor, but for ourselves, this is the question I want you to think through this whole entire morning. And it's this. Simply, do you treasure the kindness of God towards you? And so with all that being said, I want to go before the Lord in prayer because the task that is before us is only one that the Spirit of God can accomplish. So if you guys could pray with me before we jump into 2 Samuel 9. Father, we thank you for this moment that we have here today. We thank you that you do not leave us to figure this out on our own. But you have been so gracious to us to show us yourself in your word. And Lord, for those of us here who I become indifferent, Lord. The gospel message just seems like another thing that we've heard before. We need new things. We need to get deeper beyond that. I pray that they may be refreshed, refreshed this morning. We know it is only by your spirit that that can be accomplished. And so, oh, spirit of God, we pray that you may move and change our hearts this morning. And Lord, I pray for those of us in here who just do not believe who don't believe in this kindness, don't believe in this goodness, I pray that, pray that hearts may be changed this morning. Pray that we all may leave out of here so thankful that you have chosen to show your grace towards us 
and our brokenness. And so in all these things we bring before you, and we thank you because we know that you care about them so much more than we ever could. And so we trust and rest in your hands because of that. It's in your name that I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you guys can turn with me, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 is nestled right between chapters 8 and chapter 10. And as we look at it with this, it's going to make sense of why this is, stands out to us. So in chapter 8, we see that David is just laying waste to his enemies, and God is making sure that this is accomplished through David's hand. And then in chapter 10, we see that David actually tries to show a similar kindness to an enemy, but he's actually met with a battle and a war. And so right in between these two of 8 and 10, we get chapter 9, where we see David at his height, the most gracious display of David as a king, and I think that's instructive for us. And the reasoning why is not only as we're going to see with David is that he's able to execute judgment, but also show overwhelming kindness, is that this is beyond even David himself, that this is the Lord that we're going to see too in this passage. And so again, my hope and my aim is that as you go through this, as much as we're learning about David and Mephibosheth, that we will see the Lord as beautifully good and gracious towards us. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says this, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So we begin this passage with David seeking to show someone kindness from Saul's family on behalf of Jonathan. And so if you've been with us as we've been going through First and Second Samuel, you may be reminded of the friendship and relationship between David and Jonathan. And so I wanted to turn back to where this promise came from. So back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we see where this covenant is established and why David is doing what he's doing. So back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, I'm going to read from verses 12 through 16 and then read verse 42. And it begins by saying this, and Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when I've sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And look what he says now here in 14. He says, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And then drop down to verse 42, it says this, then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And so back here, we see this covenant is made, and it's exactly what's happening. The Lord has laid waste to David's enemies, and so David at this point is remembering the covenant that he has made with Jonathan. And so as we see here, there's a particular word that's used of what he says that he wants to do for Jonathan's sake. He says he wants to show kindness for his sake. And so this word in the Hebrew for kindness, and we also saw back 
in 1 Samuel 20 of that steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed. And so if you guys remember, Pastor Ian last week used this word and from the Jesus Storybook Bible said hesed is this. It's the never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love of God for his people. That's what this is. What's interesting here is that it can also be applied for humans from one to another. And so at the base level of this word, hesed is, is covenant-keeping love. It's a one-sided love that says, I'm going to set my love upon you despite how good you are, how much you hold up on your other end. It is a one-sided, forward-facing love, and this is the kindness that David wants to show Jonathan. And what I love so much about this is, Jonathan's dead. David could have said, hey, I've established my kingdom. I'm no longer running. I have it all together. My enemies are aside. Just kind of forget about that. And so we see in the character of David that even though Jonathan is dead, he's made a covenant, and so he desires to see it through. And so we begin today with David seeking to keep his word, but what we'll see as we come to an end, as we go through this passage, is that he goes far beyond that. And so in verse 2, it says this, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said to him, I am your servant. And so David begins to seek out and find out where is uh, one of Jonathan's sons. And so the first person that he interacts with is a man by the name of Ziba. And what I love here about Ziba is as he's introduced, his first thing that he says is, I am your servant. And what's interesting is because as David is the new ruler over this land, and Ziba's still associated with Saul, Ziba's making sure that it is known he is not there to play any games. He's not trying to turn sides. He's saying, hey, I am your servant. And so we see this verse with Ziba. And then it continues on in verse 3. It says, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So the kindness goes a little bit deeper, right? We get another layer in this portion because the kindness that he's showing towards Jonathan is a particular type. It's the kindness of God that he wants to show him. And so David wanted to show Jonathan's son kindness, and by extension, the Lord is doing it through Jonathan, or doing it through David. And so David becomes a conduit of the kindness of the Lord unto Mephibosheth, unto Jonathan's lineage. And this is where I want us to see so much today, is this passage is ultimately about the steadfast love of the Lord. And one of the longest continual praises for God's steadfast love, and I encourage you to read it, is in Psalm 136. So 26 times in this chapter, it says, for his steadfast love endures forever. And again, that word for steadfast love is said. so it's this kind of kindness. But particularly towards the end of it, in verse 22 through 23, it says this in Psalm 136. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And this is the heart of this passage, is that we're going to see is that the Lord remembers us in our low estate. And David is remembering Mephibosheth in his low estate, and so David is seeking him out. So as we look back in verse 
3, look how Ziba speaks to him about this heir. He says, Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And so the first thing that we see as Ziba wants to introduce this heir to David is not his name. He speaks of him because of his disabilities, crippled in his feet. And so back in 2 Samuel 4.4, we learn of what happens. And so there's the day that Mephibosheth, and he's only five years old at this time, the woman who's caring for him, they're fleeing because they've heard of the death of Jonathan and Saul. And during this time when they are fleeing, Mephibosheth is crippled in his feet at this moment. And so at five years old, he loses his father, he loses his grandfather, and he is forever crippled in his feet. And so this is all happening in one traumatic day. What I love about this is that David is undeterred by this and without reservation still sends for him, as we see in verse 4. It says, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodebar. The place that Mephibosheth is at is a place called Lodebar which means no pasture, no word, nothing. And Mephibosheth's name also is, has connotations of shame. And so essentially what we see here is that he's a shameful person from a shameful place. But David still takes the first step towards him. And Gordon Keady is going to be a... Uh, Court up on the screen captures what's happening right here. He says this, The covenant promise is fulfilled in the initiative of grace. For the covenant itself is all of grace. God always makes the first move. Were he not to do so, we would remain as we are, dead in our sins and oblivious to the gospel. The same principle may be applied to personal relationships. If you want to be of help to someone, if you want to befriend a neighbor, if you want someone to come under the sound of the gospel, you must be ready to take the initiative. You have no right to expect someone else to do it for you. This is what grace is about, reaching out to bless even your adversary's household without your being asked or their deserving it. David owed Mephibosheth nothing. Christ owes us nothing. But praise God that Jesus came to save sinners like us and that by his grace, the Davids reach out in compassion to the Mephibosheths of this world. Amen. And so this is what's happening with David going towards Mephibosheth and even more so how the Lord is moving towards us. And so praise God that he has loved us even when we don't measure up. Praise God that he's pursued us even when we were in our sins. And so this brings back up our original question. Do you treasure the kindness of God and specifically him moving towards you? And so this is what David is modeling as he's remembering the covenant that he has made with Jonathan. And so he's moving towards Mephibosheth. And as we'll see in this next section, that not only does he make a move forward, it's not just well wishes and good feelings that he has. He's actually going to do something about that. And so let's look at verses 6 through 8, where we'll see this covenant restores. So starting in verse 6, it says this. 
And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. These simple words that he came to David, it's easy to kind of skate over. We can read it and kind of pass through it. But I want us to linger here for a moment. And so for those of us who are the good kids in school now or the good kids from before, this may not resonate with you as much. But do you guys remember if you ever got in trouble and somebody came to your classroom, right? And they said, hey, your name in front of the, your classmates, the principal or the administrator wants you. And that feeling of, I'm getting up, I'm embarrassed now because my friends are watching me, and that walk of shame, and then also the spirited internal dialogue of trying to justify and get out of whatever is about to happen. And the terror of, when I sit down, I just hope I'm going to be able to talk my way out of this. <laughs> That's the way. I believe this is where Mephibosheth is at. So imagine that as he says, as it says that he came to David. David has sent his representative to find him at Lodabar. And this is the king's representative coming to this place that is of nothing and no repute. And he says, Mephibosheth, you must come back to the king. He's been in hiding. He's been running. He's a part of the former lineage and dynasty. And often, as you will see this, and it happens even times in the scriptures, that when the new dynasty comes in, it lays waste to the former one so that there is no option for somebody to have them to raise up. And so imagine Mephibosheth is making his way to David, not knowing what is about to happen. And then look, as soon as he gets there, it says in verse 6, he fell on his face and paid homage. So immediately he recognized, I must just find some way for him to spare my life. He falls on his face and even imagine how difficult this was because he was crippled in his feet. But he must and he feels like I have to get myself out of this. And so as he is there paying homage, David yells out, Mephibosheth! And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And then David completely upends Mephibosheth's world in verse 7 when he says this. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Man, he's imagining that it should be death, but immediately David says to him, do not be afraid. And this command right here is prevalent throughout the scriptures and actually is the most repeated command in the Bible. And so David knew Mephibosheth needed to hear those words in the moment because there was much to be afraid. He was summoned by the king who, in all honesty, had the power and ability to execute judgment upon him. And similarly with our own selves, there is much to be afraid within this world. There's danger amongst us. And this command of do not be afraid is empty unless the person who's giving it has the power to protect or the grace to forgive. And so we see as David has that ability to do this for Mephibosheth, even more so ourselves with the Lord. 
It's that he does have the ability to say, do not be afraid, and he actually can protect. And he has the ability to say, do not be afraid, and he can actually forgive. And so that contemplation of standing before him in judgment and recognizing that he can say these words and they can bring utter peace to our souls. And this is why the command of do not be afraid is resonating from Mephibosheth. And then the second thing that David does for him is that he restores him the land that was a part of his family's. So David is not only bringing peace to his soul, but he's giving him a legacy and wealth by restoring the land. And then third one that we see here is that David allows him to sit at his table. And so he brings him into his family. And what David does here is common to what the Lord does in his kingdom and his promises. He gives us his presence, a people, and a place. And so there's a presence to bless in the peace that happens when David says, do not be afraid. There's a place that he gives him in his land and a new home. And lastly, he brings them into his family. And so David, in one sentence, upends and restores Mephibosheth's life. The Lord Jesus did that in three words when he said, it is finished. And so we recognize how amazing and how good this is. But then we hit this hinge right here in verse 8 where Mephibosheth could go a different direction and say, of course, you were supposed to restore him. You are supposed to give me all of this back. But look how he responds in verse 8. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So there's going to be another quote up on the screen from Gordon Keedy that captures this again. So he says this, Today's counselors and psychiatrists would probably set this down as a poor self-image or low self-esteem induced by disability and deprivation. And perhaps there was an element of this in Mephibosheth's self-deprecatory remark. Nevertheless, it needs to be said that there are times when self-deprecation and low self-esteem are justified because they are a realistic assessment of our true condition before God. There are times that we do not need to just build ourselves up, especially as we stand before the Lord. And we get this intuitively of if you're standing before an amazing beauty like the Grand Canyon or the ocean, that what should not be going through our mind is how impressive and big that we are. There's a recognition as we stand before these things of how small, how unimpressive, and how grandeur and beauty is before our eyes. But at times, we can miss this with the Lord. We can feel like we're on the same playing level as him. We are equals with him, and we can speak and do however we please because, so what? He's shown me grace. He's shown us kindness. And so what I love here about Mephibosheth's response is it's instructive for us because it shows us when we are met with the kindness of the Lord, it should humble us. It should make us recognize that on one big scale, that we do not deserve this. It should humble us in recognizing that we fall so far short, but it also causes us to cherish and prize it because of how far deep he reaches down to bring us up. And so this is what we see, is that we should have this posture of humbled and prizing his graciousness 
towards us. And so as we've seen in this, as Mephibosheth captures this, what I also want to highlight is that he began it off by saying, what is your servant? This should remind us of last week, as we saw with David, when he did the exact same thing in verse 18 of chapter 7 in 2 Samuel, where he said, the king went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And so in both of their examples, when they're met with the kindness of the Lord, they are both humbled of saying, who am I that you would even consider to do such a thing for me? And so that encourages us, that shows us the way of how we should respond to God's kindness. And so as we come to the close of this passage, the last couple of verses, David not only remembered this covenant, he not only restores Mephibosheth, but what I love right here is that it gets even better. So look at me, looking at verse 9, and it says this back in 2 Samuel chapter 9. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servant. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. And so what David does is his word was kept. He could have just said, hey, I'm doing these things. You kind of figure the rest of it out. But David goes above and beyond even that. Because not only is he restoring and helping Mephibosheth by giving him this land and the help to take care of it, he's also providing wealth for his family and for those who are in his care. And so David goes above and beyond for caring for Mephibosheth, but also his family by extension. And then he adds a layer to this of not only did he eat at the king's table, but it was like one of the king's sons. And so there's going to be another quote up on the screen from Tim Chester that captures this of what David is doing here. And so it says this, David is not merely fulfilling the letter of his promise to Jonathan. Mephibosheth is not merely tolerated. He's not just given provisions. He's invited into a relationship with David. Eating is a powerful symbol of friendship that was true then and it's still true today. That's why Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners was so controversial. God's king was eating with God's enemies as a sign of God's grace. It is the same today. Christ does not merely tolerate us. He invites us into a relationship of intimacy and friendship, and that is powerfully symbolized in the invitation to eat at his table in the Lord's Supper. Christ says to you, eat at my table. And so David goes above and beyond and treated Mephibosheth like a son. But I do want to highlight something here is that he was just still like a son. And this is where the Lord is so much better in this is that we are not just like 
sons and daughters, but we are sons and daughters when we're invited into this relationship with the Lord. And so I want us to consider what the Lord has done for us, the grace that he has shown us, how overwhelming his kindness was towards us upon the cross. And so in the words of the great preacher, and I won't copy his voice, of Gardner C. Taylor, he says this, when Jesus died between a sorrowing heaven and a sinning earth and stayed there until it was over, that tree became the tree of our salvation. For he died until death lost its power. I want us to consider a couple more reasons of why he stayed upon that tree. And so Christ stayed upon that cross until the broken was healed. He stayed upon that cross until the rebel became the follower. He stayed upon that cross until the wicked was declared righteous. He stayed upon that cross until the orphan was adopted into his royal family. He stayed upon that cross until you were forgiven. And before he even made it to the cross, he was betrayed at a table so that we would be forever welcomed at his table. And so we praise him for this, our good God who stayed upon that cross for our sake, not because we were lovely, not because we merited it, but just because of his overwhelming graciousness and kindness. And time would fail me to tell you of all that he has done. And so I implore you, I encourage you, I call you to trust in him for your salvation. Rest in this, that this is the God that we serve. And so, as we come to an end, I will wager and say, none of us are kings who have been conquering our enemies and we're seeking to show kindness to our former enemy's grandson. None of us are probably at that place. So here are three ways that we can take what we have seen in this passage and go forth and apply them. First one, as we saw with David, take the initiative towards your neighbors. Take the initiative towards those who do not know the Lord. Invite them in. Second is that we do this not based on what we can get, but rather what we can give how we can help to restore through the power of the gospel so we reach out and extend. And then third, is that we don't merely tolerate one another, but rather invite others in, not just trying to do the bare minimum, but loving those of God, who God has put around us. And all of this, the only way that we can do this is when we first ourselves are overwhelmed and cherish the kindness of the Lord towards us, and we seek to extend that out to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your graciousness and kindness towards us was just not mere toleration, Lord. That you saw fit that where you could have just forgiven our sins, but you decided to do more, Lord. You decided to bring us in as sons and daughters. You decided to bring us in as your own and you have lavished us with your grace. And so, Lord, help us in this moment today that that may dominate our thinking, that you stayed upon the cross on our behalf. 
And Lord, as that has resonated in our own souls, help us not to leave it there, Lord, but that we may extend that to others, that we may seek to reach those who are around us, may seek to share the gospel with them. We may seek to not merely tolerate, Lord, but to invite others into a relationship, first and foremost with you, and then also with us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do these things because left to our own devices, we are insufficient for this task. But we know that you are with us and you care about this so much more than we ever could. So it's in your name that I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.